Como belle gelle luna brille strette strette como butto belle faste già sotto celle de Roma. Okay, today we are going to be talking about uh, 1999's Mickey Blue Eyes, and uh, that was a great year, man, 1999. In the summertime, I worked at a Johnny Rockets on M Street in Georgetown, Washington, D.C., slinging malted vanilla milkshakes and getting paid in cash, and uh, I was an Im- impulse buyer. I bought everything I could the minute that I got that cash. So, so, I, so easy when you have cash in hand. It's like play money. Saved no money that summer. In D.C. in 1999. The world's your oyster. The world, yes, everyone's listening to Prince's Party Like It's 1999, and that's what we were doing, man. I, uh, I, I remember um, I had a book bag, a knapsack, and in my book bag I had... I am only one and one is much too few. I a trapper keeper full of tunes. Yeah, a thick-ass trapper keeper. I had a manual camera. This was before uh, Digi's, yeah. so I also had rolls of film in my bag. You'd take 24 shots with your with your camera, wow. and then be like, I'm out. <laughs> have to reload. Have to... <laughs> uh, gonzo journalism. Yeah, gonzo journalism. With a disc man. Dude, yeah. My disc man uh, had the shock, the shockproof uh, bass boom button. Right. Uh, which didn't that. work at all. <laughs> oh, it didn't do anything. <laughs> No, you couldn't. You couldn't run with a CD player att- attached to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did they even sell that? The sports, the sports disc man. Oh, and everybody was freaked. We talked about Y two K already. We did, um, but you know, you know, the United States. We're like a people that are just filled with fear. Yeah. That uh, every ten years something's going to happen. Either it's going to be the rapture, or we're going to hit peak oil, or um, we're going to get nuked by North Korea or uh, the former Soviet Union. Yeah. The well. It's going to be SARS. It's going to be Ebola. Some some problems are still around. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you're going to get some sort of MRSA, uh, uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria Ugh. that gets cultured in a hospital or a, a meth lab. Yeah, but Y2K that was the one that everybody was freaked out about. There was also a big uh, issue with Hotmail. Um, they figured they found out that you could hack into anyone's account by using the password eh. Uh, and at the time, that was the biggest security scam on the web, the biggest security issue on the web. Yeah, Yahoo's Achilles heel. Eh. So, uh, yeah, and, and did the apocalypse be, start with a bang, a whimper, or a eh? So, yep, started like a, with an eh at this point. Yeah, man, so after work, I'd go home and I'd, I'd, uh, I'd uh, plop down on my parents' couch and watch Frasier. That was the number one sitcom. Frasier was in 1999? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were other ones people were watching, but Frasier was my lane. Right. Yeah. Oh, Friends was over, and so was Seinfeld at that point. Yeah, so this was the uh, the post-Seinfeld period. Yep. You know, people scrambling for what the next top thing would be. Uh, what, what came out this year? Mickey Blue Eyes. Didn't see Mickey Blue Eyes in 1999. First time I've ever seen it was for this podcast. I think, yeah. <laughs> the first time a lot of people... Uh, would have seen it would have been 1999. I don't think it had a lot of traction after that year. Uh, I've talked to a few people and asked them if had they seen the movie, and uh, all of their responses were basically the same. They say, I remember the movie poster, which is never a great uh, 
great thing when you're when you're trying to sell tickets. So Mickey Blue Eyes, um, a, a brief, briefly, I think uh, in one sentence we could say this movie was uh, what if Meadow Soprano married a British dude. <laughs> That's exactly right. It was basically an open casting call for The Sopranos. And there are some really interesting things about this movie, one of which is that the entire uh, cast of The Sopranos can be seen um, playing themselves <laughs> or uh, cameoing as, as mobsters. Yeah, it sort of leads me to my question. Uh, do these dudes have to read for these parts? And, uh, how... I really wonder if that's the case. Or, I... they just show, or they just send in a headshot and they're like, that guy. Yeah, so you, wa- you, you watch the... When you watch The Sopranos, you're gonna see um, you're gonna see Big Pussy bumping Cerro. You're gonna see uh, Polly Walnuts. Are we talking about who's in it? Yeah, you're gonna see oh, yeah. Artie Bucco. So if you're a fan of The Sopranos, you see these people and um, Janice. Uh, Janice Soprano. was a waitress. Yeah, Janice the waitress. She's in this. Um, uh, Bobby Bacalao Sr. from the episode um, Another Toothpick uh, is in this as well. So is uh, one of the head FBI agents is in this film as an FBI agent. Right. So uh, That's right. I, I wonder uh, where the intersection was between like the casting directors. He wasn't the FBI agent. He was actually, uh, wait, Big Pussy's partner? That guy was in it as well. I yeah, he was, he was the head of the FBI uh, task force against them. Yeah, so you got, I mean, you just see, All of them. you're seeing the whole Sopranos cast in this uh, light-hearted uh, romp. This romp, rom-com. Romp is correct. Rom-com, American-Italian uh, farce. It's a rom-com. <laughs> but back to, like, 1999, I probably, I didn't see this movie or hear about it because I was too busy watching The Matrix, mm-hmm. uh, which um, which was really, I think, my favorite part of The Matrix now that I still think about was the idea that you could download um, an entire skill set uh, in seconds. So, like, the scene where Keanu Reeves wakes up and goes, Whoa, I know Kung Fu. Like, I would have used that to learn a whole new language immediately. You know, I would have loved to wake up and be like, Whoa, I understand um, ancient Sumerian. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That movie also made me really want a steak more than I've ever wanted one in my entire life with the uh, Joey Pantoliano character eating the steak. Joey Pantoliano. good it was. Oh, Enough. man. Also from The Sopranos. Wow, yeah. Ralphie. Didn't, didn't even make that connection until just right then. So Ralphie. It's like we're playing uh, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, only we're playing Six Degrees of The Sopranos. That's that's what this movie was, basically. I think this, this movie came out the year The Sopranos was released as well. That's right. Yeah. So The Sopranos pilot came out in 1997, and then it took two years before uh, the series came out on HBO. So uh, 1999. Um, and that's this same year that this... So these guys, all of these actors weren't, you know, uh, breaking out yet as icon- as the iconic characters they were in The Sopranos. Just a great year for uh, mafia bit player, bit part players. I went to a casting director's office once, and well, a couple times, but casting is like one of the few places where uh, racism and prejudice are alive and well. The more uh, the more accurately you fit a stereotype, the better. So you go into these offices and they have filing cabinets that go up to the ceiling. And then each cabinet is labeled with um, Italian, like Italian American will be a label. And then when you open up the filing cabinet inside is uh, just all of the headshots. But every single actor is wearing a white beater, a thin gold chain, and has their hair greased back. Oh, so they're, they're 
headshot specifically for that part, not just right. like an actor's headshot. Right. But they just write Italian. Right. So, like, if you're looking for an Italian-American, it doesn't really matter what they, uh, all of the things that they could be. They are li- just going out as Vinny from Brooklyn, who owns a pizza shop and uh, has some money on the streets. So they're not really branching out uh, and showing <laughs> range. It's just like, here's me. No, Vinny is never, uh, he never works for NASA. Right. That's true. So, so uh, that that's uh, how what you see in the casting director's office. And then I wonder, like, how many of these actors are, like, Juilliard trained or um, come from, a, like, uh, Shakespeare, but then could never uh, get those roles because right. they're just stuck playing, a mo- like, the same mobsters every film. Well, ultimately, I think they have it easier than certain demographics when it comes to that. I think they have the ability to show a little more range than, say, an Indian kid trying out for, you know, a lead romantic role or, uh, yeah, you know. I'm not shedding any tears for him. No, 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 I don't. I was about to say, I was like, I don't know whether you were going with the sympathy card here, but uh, I don't feel any. Look, we gotta keep these uh, Christopher Columbus statues up. <laughs> He was an American hero. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I feel like if you're taking a headshot with a white beater on, you're going for, you're going for something very specific. Yeah. And fr- frankly, there was enough work for about 10 years for those guys. So when you go into a casting director's office, you want to hedge your bets. So you want to, you, you can give them, uh, like, they're going to have a drawer that's military-aged dudes. And you can have the exact same actor uh, take photos of himself in uh, military drab and fatigues. Military-aged dudes. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, like, you know, because every TV show, every movie has uh, some military guys in it. Okay. Uh, like, the the most common roles on television are going to... If you're a young man um, between the ages of 20 and uh, 40, right? Um, mm-hmm. You can probably play a cop. Right. And there is uh, there are police officers on every uh, station. Um, when you're watching TV. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, so cops, uh, there's always going to be soldiers, there's always going to be doctors, because that's where these, these shows all take place. Right. Um, doctors, and, lawyers, judges. Yes. Sure. Yeah. The judge, you're not going to get that role as a young dude. No. The, ju- the judge goes to, like, a sort of a squat, uh, balding man. The judge actually, a lot of the times, goes to, uh, a, like, people of, of color, like, a. There's a lot of, like, black female judges in a lot of shows, sitcoms, Law & Order. It's weird. Like, I read something about that, and they were saying, like, they tend to give those parts to older black people, which yeah. is interesting. And, and, and I mean, now saying that, if you, you know, watch some shows. Yeah, put, not, put, <laughs> put your new Eat, Pray, Judge glasses yeah, they're on not, now. They're not all Marshall Warfields. Yeah, no, not all bailiffs anymore. Not all bailiffs. Upgrading. Uh, yeah, so... Um, what else happened in 99? A couple of dumb things. Um, a woman was skydiving, her parachute didn't open, so she fell 14,500 feet into a, uh, onto a, uh, bed of fire ants who stung her several times and gave her the adrenaline to get up from the accident. Wow. Right. So, did her body fall apart the moment that the no, adrenaline she's, she's dropped sur- off? No, she survived. Um, so apparently adrenaline directly at impact is is the cure-all for, for a 15,000-foot fall. It turns your body into a rubber ball, and it, you just bounce. Basically, um, which I thought was a crazy story. Also that year, another another fun, weird fact, uh, a guy tried to auction one of his kidneys on eBay. Uh, this is like in eBay's infancy, technically. Yeah. Uh, the founder of eBay, by the way, went to your uh, high school. That's correct. Yep. Um, St. He, Andrews. St. Andrews. Shout out. There you go. Um, 
he offered either or either either of the kidneys no no uh, no no specific one but he said that he needed the other one to live uh and it had gone on for about 2 weeks and the bids reached up to 5.7 million uh all the transportation and medical fees were paid to by the, paid for by the purchaser uh and then eBay promptly <laughs> shut it down and did not allow uh the sale to go through so he was not allowed to sell his kidney. After all the bidding, eBay shut it down. Yeah. I don't think they wanted to get into the market of... Uh, organ know, harvesting. Organ, organ, organ yeah. <laughs> For-profit organ donation. Um, so that's the kind of world 19... That, that's the kind of world we were living in in 99, basically. Yeah, Just yeah. Just a, a brand new internet, web crazy... And everyone was shaking that ass to uh, um, Britney Spears' baby one more time. Everyone. Um, and then, if you were a cooler, though, you were listening to Louis Vega's uh, Mambo Number no. Five. I wouldn't say cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you were you were something. <laughs> well, my you were a cruise ship uh, <laughs> partier. I was. I pro- I think I probably w- did take a cruise with my grandma to uh, Alaska, and I watched glaciers falling into the ocean hmm. around that time. So, uh, wasn't quite, um, hip to climate change and global warming yet, but I was seeing its early effects. Right. Yeah, and my CD booklet at the time, though, was no Louis Vega. I had, uh, Prince Paul's Prince Among Thieves. That's great. <laughs> so much better. <laughs> and, uh, The Beat Nuts Musical Massacre. Again, great. Great those albums. Were, those were two albums that I was just listening to on, uh, repeat. Sound Bombing too. That's it, yeah. With uh, with uh, Marshall Mathers when Eminem was still funny. Yeah, that's yeah. Great sense of humor. Not on sad. Those, Marshall. On those early tracks. He was uh, hilarious. Um, so this movie, we can uh, dive let's, right let's, into let's it. Let's get in. Let's get in there. So the premise of the movie is we've got uh, Hugh Grant's character is an auctioneer in New York City at a uh, at Cromwell's, and Cromwell's is like the a bougie auction house that is um competing with sotheby's technically right yes yes so his job is uh selling art to rich people and he uh, we see that he's very good at it um and he loves uh, a young woman played by Jeannie triplehorn uh he wants to marry her but the twist the catch is that she is hesitant because she is a mafia princess and her father is uh james Kahn. And he is one of the heads of the mob. And she doesn't want to get um, our man, Hugh Grant. Uh, Wrapped up in that world. Exactly. Exactly. So, we'll see. We'll see. And hilarity ensues when we get <laughs> Hugh Grant as the uh, dry-witted, uh, charming British man uh, as a fish out of water. Yeah. Turned Kansas City uh, low-level mob figure. Mickey Blue Eyes. <laughs> right. Right, so he, yeah, so he he has to become uh, Mickey Blue Eyes to get out of a whole bunch of, um, out of the uh, the mob's web. Correct. Yeah. So let's, we can, uh, we can start off with the, um, the beginning of the movie. We see, we see a truck and it's driving uh, through the city streets and it's a delivery truck. We see that it's going to end up at the auction house uh, where Hugh Grant, is uh, is the master of ceremonies. He's the auctioneer. Yeah, he's got a super dry sense of humor, but we uh, are led to believe that he's funny because all of these old rich people in the uh, in the stands um, are laugh 
He's just rifling them with dad jokes, and they're loving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's also got that dry British uh, timing. Mm-hmm. He's killing it, and he's pretty charming. I gotta charming say. Um, yeah, I could I could watch uh, Hugh Grant in a pickle all day long. <laughs> I guess that's what the studio was banking. On. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the the per- the perfect formula for a Hugh Grant movie is uh, let's put this man. In uncomfortable situations. I mean, has that guy ever not made a romantic comedy? I, uh, well, he made one horror movie called Lair of the White Worm in 1988. <laughs> it was a, it was Lair a of the White Worm? Yes. A yeah. British film or an American? It's a British okay. uh, horror movie. Okay, so he was movie. still, he was, he was uh, you know, earning his chops. Yeah. Okay. But he's, uh, he's like a, a billion dollar enterprise. Hugh Grant is? Yeah, he's got it, he's making a lot of money. One of the producers of the movie was his then-girlfriend... Uh, Elizabeth Hurley. Okay. So everyone was banking on Hugh, emotionally and financially. <laughs> so uh, so after we see him be cool as a cucumber in front of this crowd, uh, the very next thing we see is him being neurotic. And I guess this is supposed to make him vulnerable, vulnerable and charming because he is asking his, uh, his uh, female assistant for advice on, <laughs> on how to, uh, if it's okay for him to propose after just three months dating his girlfriend right three months uh, he's asking advice for a woman he clearly has curbed to the friend zone which is uh which is an act of sadism in a huge way um and yeah so he's obviously you know head over heels in love with this uh this charming uh by day school teacher by night the Daughter of, like, a high-ranking mafia official played by James Caan, uh, which is not a stretch for him. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's, nobody's branching out in this film. Right. This is the world where, uh, where Sonny survived the shootout and uh, Michael and Fredo have been liquidated. Yeah. And the so- only thing not harmed in, uh, in Sonny's shootout was his funny bone, apparently. <laughs> and zing. We got a... Uh- this is like the typecasting Olympics, by the way. Everyone seems typecast. Hugh Grant seems typecast. James Conn's obviously typecast. All the mafia figures typecast. The Chinese uh, restaurant workers all typecast. I mean, I want. I actually wanted to bring that up too. Yeah. Uh, so he, Hugh Grant, is uh, he wants to propose to Jeannie Triplehorn after three months, uh-huh. which seems incredibly fast. And maybe if we were living in a cabin in the woods, three months would seem like enough time to really cement a relationship. But these people live in New York. Yeah, I mean we're go go go. Things are moving fast here, too. But because we're so busy, I feel like you don't really get to know somebody until you've been uh, dating them for a year. Nobody seems to get married in New York. Nobody gets married. Yeah, yeah that's uh, the that's the flaw in the in the logic here. But so, ninety nine different time. Yeah, Hugh is crazy thirsty to lock it down. Yeah. You know, uh, so he he wants to propose to her. And uh, you brought up the Chinese restaurant, which I wrote here in my notes. This Chinese restaurant is the most Chinese restaurant ever. Very Chinese. It is, uh, um, so, yeah, th- this film peddles stereotypes. Uh, yeah, a thousand percent. <laughs> and, uh, paints with, uh, broad brush strokes. Uh, this Chinese restaurant, actually, it looks pretty cool on the inside, you know? Not a bad-looking place. I would eat there. I would eat there, too. Uh, and, but if you've been to New York, you realize Chinese restaurants are, like, all mostly fast food, uh, corner shops. Yep. Uh, with halogen light bulbs and, um... <laughs> no real decor on the inside. They're and not I great. Never met a Chinese person actually wearing traditional Chinese clothes. It's true. Like the waitress in this. Yeah. 
She was uh, the owner. She made that abundantly yes, clear. Excuse me, the owner. Yes, she did. And that's also part of the the comedy of errors is they keep thinking that she's the waitress. Yeah, she's yeah. the owner. Eat your fucking cookie. <laughs> okay, line. Uh, so Hugh <clears throat> uh, puts puts his um, uh, wedding band right. The what do you call those? This the, is how far away I am. From the ring. Marriage. Right, it's a, it's a ring. A wedding right? band, yeah, an engagement yeah. band. Sure. Okay, the engagement ring. He puts the engagement ring <laughs> in a uh, Chinese fortune cookie, and at the end of the meal, um, the fortune cookies are switched with another table. Right. And, uh, I, you know, I don't want to give away all the jokes, all the gold in this film, but uh, one of the early jokes is that uh, the couple at the other table, uh, the girl, the woman opens the fortune cookie and assumes that her man wants to marry her. That's correct. <laughs> and they're like on they're on date like four or five maybe yeah so a little bit behind Hugh Hugh Grant and Jean Triplehorn and she but but this uh, this woman is ready to jump in Hugh's little uh, little trick um, really just terror just basically nine eleven this guy's um, relationship because there's no way that he can recover after this you know. With this, uh, with this bait and switch, this pump fake. Well, I mean, he's either got to pull the trigger or, or, or you know, abandon ship. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe, maybe it was a blessing in disguise. Maybe this guy is just realizes now that it's time to take that step. She's the one. Yeah. So, uh, Jean, Jeannie Triplehorn's character, Gina. Yeah. It's actually good. We can do that. Yeah. Uh, is obviously conflicted and says no because she doesn't want to introduce Hugh Grant to her actual, uh, her, li- her her upbringing, her life, her family. Yes, because up to this point, all she's been presenting is, is a good, is a face yeah. to Hugh. Well, they're three she's months, man. She's been lying Still to bad. him. You gotta tell, you gotta tell people on day one. Whether your you know, dad's a mafia boss. Yeah, you gotta you say, should. look, Cosa Nostra, we're yeah. in it, uh, we're really concerned about the Rigo laws in my family. Uh-huh. And, That's a good uh, way to bring it up. <laughs> I, you know, ask him what he knows about the about, about Rico statutes, Rico predicates. Yeah, be like, uh, okay, first date, you wearing a wire, buddy? Yeah, just frisk him. Uh, yeah, okay, so now Hugh does not know yet that um, her family is in the mob, uh, and he goes to her her father's restaurant, the yeah. La Trattoria. <laughs> the La Trattoria, which the one of the better jokes in the movie was, so it's the, the restaurant? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and here is where we see almost like the entire cast of The Sopranos and Goodfellas, yeah. and there's all a, hanging out. Just all hanging out at at the uh, the mob watering hole, basically. Totally, we see Artie Bucco, who's playing um, uh, Johnny. Uh, he's an unstable young mafioso uh, who wears a black leather jacket and is paranoid that every single male in the movie is he's hitting on his girl. His, yeah, yeah, and he's also a painter. Right, he's he's got an artist soul. He's got, he's got the heart of him. He's a romantic. Yeah, he's a hopeless romantic. You would understand that. I do. He says, uh, and then we have Uncle and Vito, who's played by uh, the great Burt Young, and uh, Burt Young, you might remember uh, playing. He was Polly. Polly and Rocky. In, uh, Rocky, and he was um, Bobby Bacalao Senior in the Sopranos episode Another Toothpick. Again, that's a brutal episode. Oh man, my th- my thing with him in that episode is that he's dying from lung cancer. Yeah. And so he's coughing up blood the whole movie, uh, and oh. he's a, a TV show, and he's a, you know p- taking puffs from his inhaler. Yeah, and I, I have a, like terrible asthma, uh-huh. so I uh, totally identify uh, with that as like, awful. the way to go. Yeah. Um. So, 
he goes there to find out, you know, who her family is, effectively. And he meets uh, her dad, played by James Caan. And they all seem fine. And James Caan, you know, loves that he loves his daughter. He goes to ask for his his uh, blessing. Yeah. And uh, he gets it in spades. <laughs> also, he wants, to, he wants him to call him dad almost immediately. Everyone's moving really fast yes. in this movie, at a frenetic pace. Um, yeah, well, I'm glad, you know, you gotta get us there quickly. And we were, like, 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah. So that's great that we meet it all the characters very quickly, correct. That, we need, that we need to know. Right. Uh, it would have been really cool if uh, these guys actually referenced Casino and Goodfellas. Or uh, if, if they were, like, more stressed out talking about things like the Rico laws. Right. Or dropping <clears throat> Giuliani's name. Because this was, like, right around the time that he was going to war with organized crime in New York City. Right. Um... Or Brasco. Talk about Donnie Brasco. Talk about Donnie Brasco. I don't, I don't think you talk about Donnie Brasco. So what happens is James Conn obviously gives him the blessing, is excited about it. Yes. He doesn't care that he's a mafia boss. But uh, now here's a big problem. Um, Uncle Vito, mm-hmm. who we meet in this restaurant, and we think he might just be like an old dude eating pasta. He's clearly like connected, but we don't know that he's like the big guy. This is where hilarity is going to ensue. And we're going to get a bullets over Broadway type scenario where uh, Hugh Grant is asked to, um, you know, perform a couple favors. Right. You know? Just do a couple of things. Not favors, even. Just uh, just niceties. Yeah. Like, you know, that nicety might be having Johnny, played by Artie Bucco. Johnny, uh, being an artist, has uh, painted some really, I think they're beautiful, but, um... I like, I like the color work. But yeah, continue. I don't very, want to knock you off your point. Go No, it's fine. He, he paints these very, uh... Very trashy images of, uh, Jesus with, uh, a Tommy gun. Yeah, they're almost like velvet paintings. <laughs> that sort of class level. No, they look they look like the type of paintings that, like, Mexican... Like, Mexican paintings that, uh, are... are uh, where the canvas is, like, a tin plate. <laughs> <laughs> that are... That are scenes of miracles that have taken place. Correct. <laughs> Um, so this is the miracle where Jesus mows down all of your enemies with a machine gun. Yeah. From heaven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the My Bloody Valentine uh, That's Day mi- good. Miracle. There we go. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, Johnny uh, paints these horrible paintings, and, um, you know, his dad, Uncle Vito, wants these paintings to be put up for auction in, like, the 17th century Baroque, Baroque art uh, exhibit. Yes. Which are more, you know, Rubenesque women than, you know, Jesus with a with a uh, automatic weapon. And I, I like the idea of a, a mafioso with an artistic sensibility. Sure. And we see that again. We see that in The Sopranos with uh, Christopher Moltisanti uh, continuously wanting to write a script about Cleaver. Yeah. Which is, you know, the same as this uh, Johnny character um, right. painting. Just because you kill people for money doesn't mean you don't have a soul, an artistic yeah. sensibility. So they, you know, he he gets he gets a couple of he gets his son's first painting in in the auction, and it's sort of like an, uh, a favor that Hugh Grant's doing, you know, to win the sort of uh, the affection of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, they auctioned it off. Yeah, but it's a slippery slope. Yeah, well, they're 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 putting guys that owe the money in and having them bid on the artwork. That way, it sells. Yes. So this is a wonderful money laundering tactic. And I, I mean, it seems so genius. I don't know why it, uh, why it doesn't happen more frequently. 
I mean, who knows if it does? I think the whole point would be for us not to know. Yeah, and it's a place to hide your uh, to hide your money. Correct. It's a great investment for rich people, and it's um, I guess you can write it off for taxes. You can. I think that's a big deal. Yeah, after working on the Upper East Side and amidst all those galleries and talking to people who own them, it's a it's a racket. Let's put it that way. Fine art is a racket. Hugh scuttles the whole plan, and he uh, does not let uh, Johnny sell his painting to a real buyer. To a real buyer. Right. Right. And so Johnny's out a ton of money, and um, he comes looking for him, and he wants to kill Hugh, or get his money back at least. And at this moment, um, Hugh is with Jeannie Triplehorn, and uh, uh, Johnny pulls out a gun, there's a scuffle, and um, Jeannie Triplehorn kills Johnny. Accidentally. She tries to shoot in the air to stop them from fighting, and a bullet ricochets off of a uh, light light fixture and into uh, an Artie Bucco's chest. It was an act of God. It was an act of God. It was machine gun Jesus. So now they got to get rid of this body. James Conn is going to help him get rid of the body. It's a good thing they have mob bosses at their disposal. Right, right. And James Conn, like, is siding with Hugh Grant, who he met, like, two days earlier. Yeah, to uh, cover up a murder of of his family, who he's known, someone he's known for his whole life. That is a mob faux pas. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I... You you know, so right here, the credibility of the film is, is undermined because... Why would you ever side with somebody from outside this thing? This thing of ours. You know? You're not supposed to. Hugh's not a made man. Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> no. He's not even Italian or American. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, Jeannie loves him, so Hugh is, uh, so James Conn is going to help him. They go to uh, bury the body of Johnny. Uh, so they're, they're trying to, they're, they're, digging a, they're digging a hole. Uh, somewhere in Brooklyn, it looks like. Uh, and on the other side of the of a mound of dirt, yeah, are two other good fellas digging a hole. Digging a hole. They get into a shootout just because they don't know who each other are, and then one of them's like Frankie, <laughs> and then they figure out who each other is. I thought that was funny because I'd never seen that before. So, yeah, kudos yeah. to the writer on that one specific point. Uh, very screwball uh, yeah. comedy. This is something that you you might see like um like this uh, joke played out again, where you have two crews trying to rob the same bank at the same time. Yeah. Or two gangs of bandits trying to rob the same train at the same time. Or uh, maybe you have multiple duels happening along the same riverfront. Yep. Like you could have a scene where like Hamilton is uh, having a duel with Burr. Mm. And then just like right, right down or... Another president yeah. hopeful, presidential hopeful. and Some other powdered wig aristocrat, dandy, aristocrat slave yeah. owner is <laughs> having a duel. Um, so they... Musket. So that happens. They they realize that they know each other because it's a small world, right? In the right. mafia, and we see Big Pussy for the first time. Bump and Zero, yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. When I say that, you know, I'm I'm not trying to be uh, crude. Uh-uh. It's just a man's name. Yeah, you know who he is. Don't 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 get riled up. There's a rich, rich, rich old lady who just wants is begging to buy art from Hugh Grant, and uh, I don't understand why he isn't fleecing her. Oh, because he's not. He really. Uh, dislikes the paintings, and he's, it's obviously going to jeopardize the credibility of his uh, auction house if he's selling just trash paintings <laughs> made by a mob, a mob hitman, a mob enforcer. Yeah, um, and uh, Hugh Grant now is uh, deeply in the mob world because 
uh, that because uh, Big Pussy and the rival mob crew saw him with James Caan at the burial. He saw them, which is more important, burying a body. So they immediately need to know who he is. Yes. Because yeah. if he's not connected... He's, all, a, he's a liability. They all have dirt on each other, and uh, you never you, you want no witnesses, right. you know. Um, and this happens in all sorts of like criminal organizations. You got to do dirt to get in. Uh, everyone around you has to have uh, a has to know that you have a crime uh, that they can hold against you at some other point. Yeah. And oh, that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, like you know, we're gonna go rob. We're gonna go uh, just start a, a crew. You know, I gotta watch you kill somebody. It's like the scene in Goodfellas when they uh, get get uh, Ray Liotta's character out of out of the they bail, bail him out after his hearing, and then they go, "You popped your cherry." Yeah, because he didn't snitch. Because he's in. Yep. Uh, Hugh Grant <laughs> is incapable of speaking in either an American accent or an Italian American accent. I love watching British people make fun of American accents. They always sound southern. And actually, he sounded like. Uh, a Chinese kung fu flick dubbed in English. <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to he's trying to mafia mafia him up so he doesn't seem like a what he is. And he takes the moniker uh, Mickey Blue Eyes. Mickey Blue Eyes from Kansas City. Yeah, and that's uh, the the reason we have the title of the movie. Um, photos are taken of him in a compromised position where he's got like a sexy waitress on his lap. Right. And he um, kisses her to uh, avoid seeing his boss and one of the actual art buyers. Mhm. Mhm. Oh, what a comedy of errors. And then her Gina's friend who all of a sudden has like a pretty extensively sized camera just on her person at a restaurant. Right. Takes pictures of that. Well, that was like me in the 90s, man. I, I was just about to say I was going I was going to make that comparison too. You know, luckily she had it loaded up with film. She didn't have to take a minute to man- manually load a new role. Uh, and uh, and we see Janice Soprano here as a waitress as well, which is really lovely to see her getting work. I love Janice, big fan. And uh, God on bless. My, on my third watching of the series, uh, I really identified with her. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, how you know you've watched it too much when you start to really like Janice. <laughs> <laughs> she grows on you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now, I mean, they're they're in a huge bind. So just, a, just several conflicts that need resolving. Uh, and Jeannie is going to think that Hugh is cheating on her. Um, Hugh has lied to her multiple times. As he's gotten further and further into this mafia world, the little lie became a bigger lie. And um, as we've seen in a lot of other rom-coms, that the big attention is that you know, if the guy would just be honest from the beginning, there wouldn't be a problem. But because he lies to his lover, um, we have to have uh, the th- a third act a confession and an angry or uh, uh, girlfriend right. who needs to be uh, re-wooed oh, and, to and come back into the fold. One critical piece to this is I think uh, uh, Burt Young's character finds out that his son was killed by uh, Hugh Grant. Yes. Or, you know, by someone close Hugh to Khan. And James. Yeah. James oh, Khan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so now comes the third act where we get the resolution. And the, and the third act is that James Khan must kill Hugh Grant uh, at the altar. At his daughter's wedding. Yes. During the, uh, the speech made by the groom. So he has to kill Hugh Grant during his speech. Which is, if anyone knows Italian weddings, and I didn't until until this one, the speeches are before the food. 
Yeah, keep everybody hungry. Yeah. Now, uh, well, also, you, you might get a little, uh, you have too many, too, too many uh, bucatini, plates of bucatini. Yeah, you don't want to talk. Yeah, you get tired. You're done talking. Yeah. Uh, you get sluggish. So, uh, this is also something that I learned. A lesson from this film is that smart mobsters should never attend weddings. Yeah, they seem like a, a, a breeding ground for arrests. Yeah. So you go to a wedding, and the whole crime world is there at the wedding. People are going to take photos of you. They're going to do background checks. They're going to see how everybody's connected. Also, um, how many times is somebody assassinated at a wedding? Feels like it happens all the time. Does it? <laughs> I was just thinking about that while you were saying it. I was like, I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen that. But yeah. also you have, you know, slews of people that work on the wedding, caterers, all these people who are easily can be, you know, feds in disguise. Yeah, feds in disguise. Maybe people just get killed at weddings in Game of Thrones. But it's... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But it seems like the right place. Which is like, uh, yeah, medieval mafia. Yeah, you know, you can po- poison the cake. Um, and like you said, all these different, all the staff that's there. Yeah. There's countless people that could have a too much, on. Too much room for error. And, uh, and, uh, so Hugh and James Conn come up with a plan to, uh, fake the deaths at the wedding. To fake an assassination at the wedding. With the help of the FBI. Yes. And if, yes, so the FBI, so they're snitches too. So James Conn is the worst mobster ever. One, he sides with a, with a British dude over his own family. Uh, he also snitches and becomes a rat with the FBI. Um, and, uh, and he, he didn't do any background check on Hugh Grant, uh, when his daughter was being courted. Like, at all? No. Nothing? No, he's terrible, he's a terrible mobster. (laughs) He's just not, he's a loving dad, terrible mobster. So, um, uh, they fake the deaths at the wedding, um, I am ruining the end of this film by saying that. And they fake the deaths, and what happens, uh, I think this is horrific. What a way to terrorize all your friends. Just to, like, you know, I, you can't play mind games with people like that. Just, <laughs> just dot, fake your death in front of all of your loved yeah, ones. Yeah, that's so, yeah, what are you going to do next? Right, you got to call each one of them up and be like, sorry. I'm alive. And then what type of heart attacks are they going to get if you just show up at their front door after they thought they saw you get brutally murdered? I, mean, I was wondering where you were going with that. You're exactly right. Think I, about I all the PTSD. All the PTSD. So true. There's 200 people that were at this wedding that are watching you get Bobby Kennedy'd, and now they got to all go to their therapists. And maybe that could have been the beginning of Analyze. I was just about to make, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Both made the same year, by the way. Yes. Yeah, haven't seen that one. But, uh... You've never seen Analyze That? No. Or this? Neither. This or that. I mean, as far as tongue-in-cheek mob comedies go, and I think feel like there's two of them now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, it's the one see, to watch. Oh, Jeannie also, Jeannie Triplehorn, uh, she is shot in this scene as well. Right. And, uh, again, James Conn and Hugh Grant think that she's dead. They get in the ambulance with her, and they're so sad uh, but they're comforting one another. Right. At this point, I think that they should be trying to murder one another. Because, and uh, Jeannie um, co- is resurrected. She comes back to life in the ambulance because we see that she is well. It was a triple cross. A triple horn cross. Yes. Triple horn. Jeannie triple horn. Bingo. Snap. Uh, so she, uh, she, she lives and... Um, 
jokes on you and on James Conn. Jokes on you. A lot of a lot of <laughs> a lot of a lot of name puns here. Uh huh. Um, and I think uh, what's interesting is that the humor from this movie all comes from a bunch of guys gaslighting a woman for her own good. <laughs> That's yeah. Which is, uh, you know, I'm I'm getting tired of that trope of uh, hey, we've all got to lie to her so that she doesn't get mad at us. Yeah. Seems like honesty is the best policy here, but. Everyone's trying to tip, tiptoe around things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, she's in on the on the thing unknowingly to them. Yeah. Um, she res- she she comes back to life in the ambulance. She's still not sold on Hugh Grant at this point because she saw the pictures of him kissing another woman when he was you know trying to hide his identity from his auctioneer and the, his you know the people that work for his company. Um. And the resolution comes. From that senior citizen race that the, the ambulance just parks in front of, which made no sense. Um, I mean, what, what do you? Th- what's, what's your take on the end of this film? Hey, like, uh, how do you think it worked out? How do, I, I think uh, they all go into witness protection together, <laughs> and they end up in a suburb of Tucson, Arizona, and uh, and it ends like the end of uh, Goodfellas. Where he's not an auctioneer anymore. Right. He's now just a bored house cat husband. And uh, she is, or maybe, you know, who knows what he gets into. Also, is he an American citizen? Can he go into witness protection? Or does he just get deported? How does that work? I would assume he would get deported. So That's a uh, fantastic question. So how does this movie end? Uh, I, you know, what happens after the credits start rolling? Hugh Grant gets deported. Uh, Jeannie Triplehorn goes with him. And James Caan ends up uh, in San Dimas, California, in witness protection. Close to the water park. Right. He might be working at the water park that Bill and Ted love going to. (laughs) San Dimas. I was trying to remember where I heard that. That's that's what it was. Oh, man. (laughs) Sorry, keep going. Uh, let's hope that's what his job is. That would be awesome. Yeah, what a great way, what a great way to park. retire. He gets to meet Genghis Khan, Napoleon. <laughs> He's like, oh, all I gotta, those guys. Every morning I come in here and I gotta I gotta clean all the band aids oh out, uh, out of this uh, wave pool. <laughs> <laughs> gotta make sure the boogie boards are all in good shape, good condition. So I mean, effectively, everyone, it's all happily ever after, sort of. With their completely now uh, changed lives at this point, um, to be on witness protection, which is how a mob love story ends. Well, because even if Uncle Vito goes to jail at the end of this, yeah, uh, which was the whole point was to get Uncle Vito on tape to say that he uh, was organizing this this hit right. at the wedding. There's still a room full of mobsters that have seen. Uh, Jeannie and Hugh get shot, and we'll know that um, that this was an FBI. It's a very Hollywood wrap up to me. Yeah, in the sense that there, all the main characters are safe. Vito, the, the the ultimate bad guy. Yeah, they don't say for sure, but he's obviously getting arrested and going to jail. They have enough on him. The FBI knows everything. And he's old, man. I mean, he's not going to last very long in jail. One thing I do like about mob films is that they. They're really not ageist when it comes to casting the criminals. Mm-mm. All these, 
All, I was looking up all these mobsters, all these actors, and they're all in their 70s. Yeah. And uh, and oh. all of all of these mafiosos just look like they get winded walking upstairs. Well, I mean, you know, with the exception of John Gotti, historically, these guys have always, you, you got to be old to get up that, get, to work up that ladder. The, the Castellanos and the Joey Bananos and Vincent Gigantes, those dudes were not, uh, yeah. you got to be old so that way you can fake <laughs> mental disabilities so you can get out of jail. Yeah. So, um... I don't know. Oh, so oh. it wraps up. My question to you, yeah. Gabe, and this is you know something I wanted to bring up, and this we can end on this. Do you think that this movie could get made in this political social climate that we're in now, like with the stereotypes? The Italian American ones never really seen the you know the Anti Defamation League and other throwback to Sopranos. Lorraine, yeah. yeah, Dr. Melfi's husband. I think I just feel like this movie would have to be uh, smarter. I think I, I think this movie isn't uh, terrible. But um, it's the tone is wrong for the, the for the subject matter. Less predicated on stereotypes. Yes, be them Asian American, Italian American, and like a farce uh, comedy of errors mashup with the mob doesn't. I feel like some other movies have done it better, like Married to the Mob, yeah, or uh, My Blue Heaven. Um, right. Two good ones. But uh, but this, you know, there were too many loose ends. Yeah, agreed. I've watched too many mob movies to be like, to be okay with James Conn's character and uh, with how, like, the murders were handled. Yeah, all of them. You know, and I think they were capitalizing at this point, uh, you know, on a, on a market that was pretty big, you know, with, with you know, the 1990s era hip-hop, uh, you know, and mafia stuff made, a, like, a, a big resurgence. Not that it ever really went away, you know, but, you know, Goodfellas was a, almost ten years prior. Yeah. And they just came out with Casino, so, you know... Mob movies are always a hit. Yeah. No, no pun intended, but... So, um, that's it. We did it. We did, uh, we did Mickey Blue Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, tune in, tune in next time, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Hey, mambo, mambo italiano, hey, mambo. Mambo Italiano, go, go, go You mixed up Sigiliano All you calabresi do the mambo like a crazy with a hey, mambo